Hey everybody, how you doing? Welcome to the fourth episode of What's What with Wyatt Wilkes. Today we have Harrison Prieto on. I just wanted to take a second and tell you guys that uh, it's going to be a little bit of time between each podcast episode. I know a lot of people are asking uh, when the next one's coming out, who's going to be on next, but I am a basketball player and a student first, so uh, I need to take my time in between them and I want to put out a good product for you guys. Uh, Thank you for being patient, and thank you for listening. Uh, Let's get this thing started. Four, three, two. Harrison, my my guy, how you doing? Good, man. Thanks for having me on the podcast. So earlier today we were talking uh, before we we were even uh, mentioning the podcast. We were talking about just like living through Katrina and uh, how that affected you. And uh, for everyone that doesn't know or doesn't you know doesn't know any uh, the, of the team, uh, Harrison's becoming a um, a weather meteorologist, yeah. a weatherman is what us common folk like to call them. Um, he is also part of the FSU basketball team. I have known him since I've been here. You're a rising senior, You're right? Right. Um, and I just want—I just want to talk about weather. I, I want to know all about it. So <laughs> let's—I'm uh, going to hand it over to you. Just give me, give me some childhood memories of maybe some extreme weather events. Because I, I grew up in Orlando, so I've seen my fair share of like hurricanes and things like that. So uh, I'm just gonna—I'm gonna—it's kind of unorthodox. I'm just gonna hand it over. Yeah, I mean, um, so that. There's like several events from when I was a kid that I remember um, that kind of molded me into wanting to be a meteorologist. I remember specifically sitting on my neighbor's front porch, I guess during the 2002 or 2003 hurricane season, and just watching uh, like several storms roll through. And we would watch the trees fall. And I remember sitting there thinking, wow, this stuff's cool, you know. And you, so I started watching the Weather Channel. You don't, you don't realize the devastation. <laughs> yeah, well, no, kid. no. Yeah. I mean, this was, this was some weaker storms that had come through. But uh, you had that like, oh, well, this is pretty cool. And then, you know, the 2005 hurricane season happens. And I live about 45 minutes outside of New Orleans. So just to give an idea of the geography of it, we were in the thick of things for the most part. So, I mean, that event happened. And I told you earlier, I mean, we were without power for 15 days or so. I mean, the, we were fortunate kind of where we were, but, um, I mean, you see that and you're like, what on earth could have made that happen? It's totally just foreign. And you see it now a little bit. Like, I think if you drive through the Hurricane Michael damage path um, that happened last year, you know, kind of in the Florida panhandle, I mean, it looks like a lawnmower ran over some of these trees. It, and, mm-hmm. and you can't help but just wonder, what what made that happen so i think that's kind of what's what started me on this path and ever since then i've always wanted to be a meteorologist for you katrina was definitely the worst right oh yeah worst yeah. hurricane at least in, in yeah. memory oh it wasn't even close yeah. i mean you you remember like just certain things you know i wasn't that old even but you remember just watching the trees just bend you know pine trees these mm-hmm. giant pine trees just bending over i mean my, my dad well you guys stayed yeah, yeah. So we stayed through the storm and everything. So I got to see the kind of whole experience. And it's hard because, you know, as a, as a you know, soon-to-be meteorologist, you get excited about weather events because it's cool, you know. But mm-hmm. at the same time, like, it's hard because you're dealing with, a, like, a humanitarian crisis. So you have to balance, like, okay, like, I enjoy the weather. Like, I think it's fascinating. But at the same time, you have to keep in mind, like, dude, people are their lives are forever changed or mm-hmm. worse so 
Yeah, the the devastation after Katrina. For us, I'm, I'm from Central Florida, Orlando. For us, it was Charlie. Yeah, oh, Charlie. Charlie. Mm-hmm. Just, I, I remember we boarded up all the windows, and I, I don't think leaving was really ever a thought process for my parents, mm-hmm. but um, we, we boarded up all the windows. I remember that pretty vividly. And I just remember sitting sitting inside, and it ju- just th- just the raw power of it was yeah. just incredible. Yeah. Even, even as a really young kid, it was just amazing. Just I couldn't believe that a weather event was that that strong. You know that could create such power, and then it ripped down. Probably, I mean, obviously, no power lines. Power lines no right. gone. That um, we didn't have electricity for probably thir- 13, 14, 15 days, something like that. It was just, it looked like a war zone outside. Mm-hmm. The the ground, you couldn't drive anywhere because the trees. I remember it knocked down this huge tree in my neighbor's backyard uh, that we would, it, we basically like built a fort out of it. it <laughs> we, we thought it was great, but looking back now, it's absolutely terrifying. The fact that it didn't go through our roof was just a godsend. Yeah. So, I mean, like that event for you, I think a lot of people who end up being meteorologists, they go through something like that, something like Katrina for me. Um, and they have that experience and they got to know why things happen the way they do with the weather. So that kind of pushed me down my path. Yeah, I, I can, I, for, for me, it was, I never even thought about becoming a weatherman. I think at least when I was growing up, it was like, ah, oh, the weatherman, he's a liar, <laughs> you know, but, and, and it wasn't because they didn't know what they were talking about, but it's just so hard to predict the weather, especially in a place like Florida where, the saying is like, if you don't like the weather, wait five minutes, it'll change. Right. So they'll be like, oh, there's not going to be rain today. There will be, and it'll be just the exact opposite. So um, I, I just think for me, it was, I never, I never even thought about it. being a weatherman was like another another world. Mm-hmm. You well, know? I always I always tell people, you know, you're predicting the future. Basically, is what you're doing, and yeah. you can't ever predict the future really well. But you know, I always tell people. Um, you know, you make fun of your meteorologist, but just remember, like, I saw your March Madness bracket last year. Like, it wasn't good. You were very <laughs> wrong trying to predict that. So even the even the best uh, people that predict those things, they're like, no college basketball. They'll they'll have the majority. Yeah, because you, you, I mean, there's no predictability in March Madness. Uh, so t- tell me a little bit about the science behind. Uh, people say, oh, meteorologists, whatever. I mean, they predict the weather. They they get up on the news in front of the TV and they say. You know, what, if it's going to rain this week, well, what are the temperatures going to be? Can you, can you give me a little idea about, because I have no idea. I, I think I would like to think that I know a good amount about a lot of different things, but I have no, or I know there's something to do with radar. Uh, <laughs> but other than that, I don't know very much about, like, even reading weather chart, nothing. Right. So. Well, I think I think a good, first off, you have to understand that this is, what what I'm trying to do is, physics and calculus applied to the atmosphere vector calculus and then differential equations so like like it's a lot very intensive it's not just like oh well uh let me stick my finger outside and see how the you know how the air is feeling today or oh, the smell right exactly see, I, I go off the smell i, I walk outside i'm like <laughs> smells I'm like, like oh it's gonna rain at five today you know <laughs> yeah. but and people people that aren't from florida or aren't from a place that doesn't i mean you're from louisiana you know exactly what i'm talking about actually 
real quick, you mm-hmm. know the science behind that. But uh, the the signs of why it smells like yeah, it's gonna before, rain before it rains. Yeah, but people that live in a uh, an area where it rains a lot, they they know that smell of rain. They can usually take a pretty close guess of when it's gonna rain. Tell tell everybody why it smells like that. Yeah, so that's that's called petrichor, and what it is is um, basically it's just like dead insects, dust, stuff like that that gets kicked up in the air whenever rain starts happening. So. Uh, that's kind of a little bit, but but basically that's what it is. It's it's the smell of all of the dust and and debris getting kicked up. It's that's incredibly interesting because when you before like before I knew that I was just like I just figured you know rain oh, smelled. It's, it's just rain smelled. It was <laughs> like oh those clouds they, they're probably they're probably giving off some sort of smell or something like that. But to know that it's like it, it, it's not just me or people that or like my dad, you know, right. standing out in the middle of the yard looking at the sky and going, "Oh yeah, it's gonna rain today." No, yeah, <laughs> so, there's something know, there. So my neighbor, you know, doing saying saying it's gonna rain. As long as there's actually some uh, some signs behind that is uh, pretty amazing. Um, what do you what do you think? What's your favorite part about like studying the weather, like on a daily basis, if you had to say? Yeah, I think. I get to go to class and, you know, like a lot of people are like, oh, I hate going to class. I get to go to class and answer questions that I've had all my life. You know, why do tornadoes form? I mean, we dynamics class, we sat down one day and we derived an equation and then they said, okay, now basically you have spin going this way and then a thunderstorm comes by, tilts it up, then you get a tornado. So I think like going to class is not a chore for me because I get to go and just learn, you know, like this is what I want to know. These are the answers to my lifelong questions, basically. And for a lot of people that don't know, uh, Harrison is a walk on on the basketball team. So he is here 100% for school first. If it comes down to it, he's, he's picking, uh, picking school over anything. I, I don't think that could be said for a lot of different, a lot of people, even if they don't play a sport here. Um, but, can you tell us a little bit how you uh, how you like joined the team? Because it was a little bit unorthodox. You know? Yeah. So, well, actually, let, let me take a step back. So I remember my last high school game. I kind of sat down with my dad at midcourt of our gym at high school, and I, like that was it. I was done. You know, we I was reminiscing at that point on on all the memories I'd made, and I took a second, I guess, a couple weeks. And I was like, I kind of miss it. So I went up and played in the Louisiana All-Star game uh, a couple weeks later. And I was competing against dudes that, you know, I looked and he's going to LSU and this guy's going to Arkansas and he's going to Texas A&M. And I'd already known I was coming to Florida State. So I was like. Well, because Florida State's weather. weather uh, yeah, their meteorology, their meteorology program, program is, is top notch. So, Fantastic. Yeah. So I was like, all right, well, let me just like give it a shot. So ended up getting in contact with Coach Jones and uh, – calling him a couple times, scheduling a meeting with him when I came up for orientation. And, uh, you know, one thing leads to another. You get your paperwork in, you uh, end up getting a tryout. It calls back a week later, and I had made the team. Uh, the tryout was not easy. No, I have seen. I, I, I yeah. have seen the tryouts. Yeah, I've so, seen people quit in five minutes. Oh, five minutes people have quit. That is not a lie. Yeah. To anyone out there who thinks that we are over-exaggerating, five minutes they made it yeah I mean I mean that I've told coach Jones this that tryout was the hardest workout I've done at Florida State like it's not even close like and not to say our practices are easy or anything but that was the scale of what we were doing I believe it uh I think 
they want to see they want to test you to see how far you're willing to go. Right, make you quit. They they want to make you quit because if you quit, then that just gives them a reason to be like, no, no, you can't come on the team. Right. But if you can endure and you can suffer through that, then they're they're gonna say, all right, like okay, he's got some skills. He hasn't played basketball in however many months mm-hmm. yet. He can, and he's probably out of shape, but yet he can just suffer through this grueling workout and like that's the kind of player that we need on this team yeah i and and the other thing too is whenever you're a walk-on you you or i guess this is anything in life when you're joining a new like organization or program or something you don't really know kind of what your role is going to be what it's going to be like and i think here at florida state you know we we kind of do it different because our walk-ons pretty much get treated the same as everybody else um and oh, so it definitely, I mean, is. and during the season, even like practices, we're doing more than scholarship guys. Cause I mean, we, we have to run two reps for every one rep that you guys run. So it's, it's always kind of funny. Um, well, you're part of the infamous green team. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well that's, uh, we love our role, you know, I, we, we have fun with it. That's the big thing for, for everyone out there who is just becoming familiar with Florida State basketball and, uh, doesn't know too much about us. the The green team is the practice team that is compiled of the walk ons or anyone that's redshirting, and they kick our butts every single day in practice. Yeah, like our goal every day is to see how many times we can score on you guys and make sure when we're playing defense that that you're not going to score on us. They they run the other team's offense and then they replicate it usually better than the team that we play against. Yeah, and, and we're we're at the point where, I mean, we've got a bunch of dudes who have been here like four years. So we're at the point where I don't even know if I need, like, certain offenses drawn up. Like, I could probably run Virginia's offense in my sleep. <laughs> I mean, you can run mover blocker. Yeah. You can run. They have the Buffalo. We call it Buffalo yeah, action. Yeah, Buffalo action. You can run. Um, uh, Louisville was Louisville. Louisville, Louisville. Was, well, they they, run, they, they, they got changed. Chris Max system. Yeah, now, it cha- yeah, it changed. So they're going to run a lot of cross screens, down screens, mm-hmm. things like that, uh, Princeton style. Um, but uh, you were a swimmer first. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I got, so, so I don't keep you're that. you're a, you're a jack of all trades, interesting guy, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on. I don't want this podcast to just be about basketball, even though I've had basketball players on here. I wanted this interview specifically to to not just uh, I wanted to cover a lot of different areas and um, one of those would be the fact that you were a swimmer and then for a long for you were a yeah. swimmer by trade first yeah. and then you get into college for meteorology and you go oh hey I want to play basketball try for the team you make a team yes I mean swimming was always the thing that. I was most invested in because I mean for swimming you can be a good high school basketball player if you're kind of talented and you put in a little bit of work you can end up being a a successful high school basketball player but swimming if you want to be good you have to be going five or six days a week three hours a day and it, it grueling 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 workout so like that was my thing is nine months out of the year I was in swim mode I was swimming I was competing at the highest level you could in Louisiana and then the next three months it was like ah oh, let me re- relax a little bit go play some basketball uh so that that's kind of the swimming thing and uh I always I always loved swimming uh it was hard but it was very rewarding and I think one of the things about swimming is like it teaches you how to work hard so I don't think I would be in this position that I'm in today you know playing for Florida State if I hadn't swam if that makes sense. Swimming is some of the 
the longest workouts I've ever seen. Oh, dude. it's. I mean, I remember there would be days. So you eat breakfast. It's like 5.30 in the morning during the summer, right? So we're eating breakfast. We get to the pool at 6 o'clock. We're in the water by 6.15. And we'd be doing 7,500, 8,000 yards. You know, you're swimming. That's That's unreal. Four and a half miles a day. Yeah. I I remember in high school we used to have – uh, two a days, we'd show up at five thirty. Mm-hmm. Swim kids would be already be there. The swim team would already be there working out. They'd be warming up. We'd leave, like we'd be done at seven. We'd start, mind you, we'd start school at seven fifteen, mm-hmm. and they would like just begin. I'm talking. We would walk out of the gym, showered, clothed, like backpacks, ready to go to class at seven, and they'd be just getting out of the pool. Some of them still in the pool, finishing up some sets or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever yeah, part of the practice they were doing. <laughs> And so, like, they were there before us, done after us. Then we'd come back at night and, like, say, start at 6, they'd already been there an hour. Oh, yeah. And then finish at, you know, 8.39, and they'd still, they'd still be midway through their practice. They'd yeah. go late into the night. Well, I mean, I remember during, during the school year, kind of same thing. I would, especially during high school swimming, so I would go and I would swim from, like, 5.30 to about 7, um, which is really cool. I don't know how many of y'all have done that, but but like swimming outside right before the sun comes up and then you see kind of the progression of the sun coming up. I always thought that was one of the coolest things. Um, and I always swam outside. So talk about the weather a little bit. I would always just, you know, I was a good backstroker. So I was always on my back looking up. And my parents told me one day, and I don't necessarily remember this because, you know, you're oxygen deprived, your memory's <laughs> not too great. But um they said you could always see which way the clouds were moving by which way I would drift in the lane when I was doing backstroke because I was always looking up. I was always looking at the clouds. That's wild. I, that's what I would do. I'd be, I'd just be kind of rolling through it, and I was looking up the whole time. Was that your best? Uh, best my stroke. Stroke. Yeah, yeah. Backstroke was definitely my best. I uh, when I was like, this is not impressive at all. But when I was eight years old, I uh, set a state record for it, and then uh, I was always pretty good. I mean. Kind of that's impressive. Any kind of record doesn't matter what age, where you are. That's impressive. Yeah, it wouldn't matter if there was a, rec- a record between twelve people. Mm-hmm. That'd still be impressive. I mean, it's people who pe- for people that have never um, swum like you know a long or at least attempted d- like decent distance. It is exhaust. I don't know if there's any other sport that burns calories like swimming. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe long distance running. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That. What, like what that. do you What do you think? How many sports have you played? Two. I played football too when played I was football. little. Yeah. What do you, you think? Had to. What do you yeah. think the hardest sport is? Oh, I don't say? know. Um. I mean, because like there's so okay. That's an unfair question. Obviously, yeah. There's, there's so many aspects of like different things that can be hard. Yeah, but just like if you had to, like if you go to your head, you had to pick one. What do you think? What would you say? I don't know. I might say swimming. Honestly, I mean, I mean, just you have to be a little insane. I think to especially all right respect to everybody swimming in college because like you you have to be like literally psychotic I feel like that's that was how I felt I was like I'm not probably doing say that. the same thing about us yeah uh, I don't know they, I mean but they they they're on a different level man their heads are all cardio wise they're on a different level uh, it, that it's insane it, but is it not only is it just because we are in great shape Mm -hmm. we run all the time we're always doing extra conditioning but swimmers they do the same thing every day all day long it's not because like we'll change up we'll run on the court 
we'll practice, we'll hit sand pits, oh, yeah, we'll you, do the bike. No, swimming is the same thing you, every uh, day. You got to look straight down at a black line yeah, <laughs> you that, know, that, on the bottom of the pool. Is, is that how you like kind of try to or like try to keep straight when you're um, swimming? Or yeah, I mean you or you kind of you kind of get used to it, you know. Okay. But I mean, I mean, it's just that whenever you're doing obviously the the three that you're on your stomach, freestyle, breaststroke, and butterfly, that's all you got to look at. I mean, you're sitting there and, and it's just a black line below you, and like that's hard, dude. Because how do you when you're in a race, like how do you get amped up to look at a black line? You know, I mean, obviously you can see generally where people are, but you don't know. You have to just just go mm-hmm. in your it's head. Gotta be you got to push thing. exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's not like a having a. I mean, obviously, there could be crowds there, but that you you're not. You can't really hear them. You can't hear them. The one yeah. thing I could hear is my mom does this crazy whistle. Uh, it's so loud, <laughs> and uh, and I would always hear that. I could hear her whistling, but that was about it. For me, it was my mother's claps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that lady. Shout out to my mom's claps right now. Kim Wilkes, you can clap louder than anyone I've ever heard in my life. I'd be playing in a game, and it would be loud in there. It would be loud, and she'd just be... And I'd hear it from anywhere I was. I'd hear it, and next stop was to play. I'd look up there and be like, "Oh, she'd be like rebound, you know, <laughs> like get in the paint, you know, things like that." But it's funny. All like all parents have like different things they do. My dad for basketball, so he, I mean, he's a huge basketball fan, um, and you know, I mean, he's a funny dude. But he, one of the things he'll do is, or did, I guess, when I was in high school, and I could hear him. Uh, if I was not playing well and I was being soft, you know, he would, he would just scream down like, if you don't like play harder, you're eating cauliflower and Brussels sprouts for dinner. Like it was, it was like, and well, I don't like that. Yeah. Well, I think I'm going to pick it up. Yeah. I want, I want a big steak. So. All right. So one of the things I want to talk about is, you know, not like not just climate change, but just extreme weather. And I, I mm-hmm. think we were talking the other day about that that one movie. Uh, the cl- you know, there are a lot of classic movies like uh, what was it called? Well, Twister's like a really classic movie. Okay, that's, yeah. that's, a, that's a big one. But okay, that's a big. But what was the one with all the? Yeah, yeah. Day after tomorrow. Day after tomorrow is yeah. that the one with like the half the world's frozen, and the other half's yeah. a tidal wave, the other half's on fire. Yeah, that's the movie. And um, is there like, okay? So like that's that's I think what people like think about when they think about a like a do like a weather doomsday mm-hmm. is there any truth to that yeah so like that could absolutely never happen so like <laughs> like basically the, the, what the movie tries to portray is like these giant for lack of a better term hurricanes um that suck air from the upper troposphere which is if you don't know air at the top of the troposphere which is kind of where all the weather happens is very cold okay real quick yeah before, okay when you explain something that you know no one no yeah. one knows including myself go ahead and explain it and then uh give it to us in regular people terms so right, that we right, can right. all gr- wrap our heads around it okay, okay? All, right, all right all right so so basically it takes air from the top of the troposphere and sucks it down to the surface and then flash freezes everything right so that can't happen so you can't take cold air from the top of the atmosphere and bring it down because it, when it when you bring it down to the surface you have to compress it and what what that does is it heats the air up so actually if you were to take a little bit of air from way high up in the atmosphere and bring it down it would be extremely hot so so there's more of a chance of everything uh, boiling than it is freezing. If if that movie, like if that event, and there was a giant like suction that brought everything down to the surface, then 
Yeah, it, you would. Everybody would die because there would be, you'd have heat stroke, basically. <laughs> That's absolutely terrifying. Yeah. But the chances of that happening are zero. Zero. Yeah, zero. Okay. All right. Well, that makes me feel a little bit better. <laughs> so the the big you know debate is climate change. I'm not gonna. The, I hate the politics of it. I'm not even mm-hmm. gonna get get into that. I don't think people want to hear us talk about yeah, politics. No anyway. one, I'm not. I'm not educated enough to sit here and talk about politics. If anyone wants to hear me talk about that, you're you're listening to the wrong podcast. <laughs> but if we'll you start wanna, a new one. We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll start a new one where we can talk about all that. But for for this one, just you know, just give a. <laughs> A scientist and a meteorologist's view of, of climate change and, you know, what's going on with the world right now. Yeah, I mean, so, you you know, this is like a touchy subject today. It probably shouldn't be. Um, 97% of meteorologists agree that climate change is happening. Now, like, I'm not going to pretend to be a climate scientist. I'm not. But one of the first things you do when you get into a meteorology class is, like, you, you basically go through and you take these equations that determine temperature of, of an atmosphere. You put in the constituents of the Earth's, at, Earth's atmosphere into the equation, uh, and you can calculate with, you know, pretty accurately. I think, I think we, we came out to – I know for a fact, like I knew beforehand, that the, the temperature on average of Earth's surface is like 59 degrees Fahrenheit. But we came out to a number that was like almost right at it. Um, and then you go back into the equation after, and you plug it in with just – a little, you know, maybe you do, I think we've like doubled CO2 in the atmosphere in the last like hundred years or so. So, so what, does that, what, what does that mean if right, that so CO2 is doubled? Yeah. So, so you plug that back into the equation and it comes out to a temperature that's, you know, one or two degrees higher um, or maybe, maybe like one. Okay. But what CO2 does, and this is, there's a lot of gases that do it. I mean, ozone does it, uh, methane does it, water vapor does it, and Clouds, I, everything. I, I saw somewhere that cheeseburgers create more gas, like more methane gas in the atmosphere. I like think that's from the from, cows. <laughs> yeah, no, it's from like the the total production, like from the from the cow to you eating a cheeseburger. A cheeseburger creates more gas in the atmosphere than cars do. Is that true? I have, I have no idea okay, about that. Right. Um, but basically, just like not to cut it short what what those types of gases do is it takes radiation from the earth's surface so the earth is always radiating heat out into space it mm-hmm. just goes away um that it gets from the sun and it what what those gases will do is it reabsorbs that radiation and then emits it back down so you're not letting as much get out so um basically it warms up the it the warms earth. up a little bit over time and and so Another thing is, I mentioned water, you know, water vapor is a, a, another gas that can trap radiation like that. Um, so what happens is, is the air can hold a certain amount of water vapor um, you know, at each temperature. Mm-hmm. The warmer it gets, the more water vapor it can hold. So if you increase like, the temperature of the earth just a little bit, you can get a little bit more water vapor. And it, it kind of it bounces back and forth um, on, okay, a little CO2, a little water vapor, a little warmer. Um, again, and, and is this the, you know, you hear the doomsday people that they're, you know, the world's ending in 12 years. Like, no, it's, it's not going to end from climate change in 12 years. Like, no. Um, uh, but the, I think one thing that could seriously de- derail society in general would be the oceans. Yeah. I mean, now, the, the, the melting ice and stuff. Not, not only that, but just the absolute pollution of the oceans mm-hmm. that would I, I'm more that personally. I'm more worried about that than I am the, the Earth heating up. Yeah, 
I, it's it's interesting too. It's an interesting conundrum because, like, we are getting significantly more technologically advanced. I mean, electric vehicles are starting to become a thing. They they've got automated like boats that can go around in the water and pick up trash. But but it's an interesting thing because like, do you rail derail the, you know, the world's economy right now and say, hey, we can't do that anymore, or do you say? Um, let's keep going and we'll be better equipped to deal with some of this stuff later. And I don't know. I don't, and that's maybe, maybe a more political side of things, but it's just, a, it's an interesting thing. Um, yeah, there, there's a risk, obviously. Like, I, I don't think we can, we can just say, all right, shut it all down right, right now because, you know, there are like, we can't, we don't have things in place that where we can, you know, just, pick back up right off the bat like okay no more coal no more oil like we we don't have enough alternate like alternative energy sources to just Mm -hmm. oh yeah you can't you you can't do it so i I definitely think it's going to take some time but the oceans definitely worry me i was watching uh a big misconception i was watching a documentary um i'm not sure if it was a full documentary it might have been just like a 30 minute video ish 15 something like that um but it was about the texas sized trash in the Pacific, in the Pacific. Yeah. and for me personally I know that when people describe that to me I thought about it as it like as in you know millions of plastic, you know, water, plastic bottles. water bottles <laughs> and milk jugs and all these like so thick that you could walk on it what in reality you most of the trash there you can't even see mm-hmm. because it's been broken down into microscopic particles mm-hmm. and apparently that's even more dangerous than the trash you can see. The trash you can see, you can pick it up. Mm-hmm. But if it's in a microscopic particle, what's happening is like suit uh, very small fish, like things like krill. Uh, they're they're eating these tiny plastic because the you know once the plastic break breaks down, it it just gets smaller and smaller. It never goes away. Right. Yeah. It's never gonna. It never just dissipates. Mm-hmm. It's it's always there, just at a very small size. Yeah. So it's like it then you know. The like, let's say you know a fish eats like, a, a very very small pinfish eats you know some of this like, like plastic basically and a bigger fish eats it and a bigger fish fish eats it until you know a tuna eats that like the that fish and then we're eating that tuna and then the toxicity level in that tuna is I mean thousands of times higher than it would have been fifty years ago. Yeah, that's why know? I live. Well, actually, this isn't why, but I, I live by a general rule um, that I don't eat fish. I don't catch. Um, and for, for no other reason than I'm, I just don't like fish all that much. I mean, I'll, I'll go like I'll eat catfish and stuff. Um, I, lo- I love fish, and it, yeah. it, it, but but it when I catch it, it's worth eating it. Like, yeah, <laughs> the 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 th- farm raised definitely. I try to stay away from the mm-hmm. farm raised, especially with the shrimp. The, sh- the shrimp, I try to stay away from farm raised. Try to get wild caught, but things like uh, you know that's the thing though. I think that if you catch like when you catch fish. It, you know, however many years ago, that was that was a safe bet that you're getting some fresh fish. But now, like, I think to like a much more of an extent, now you catch a fish, you can't be positive that it hasn't eaten something that's going to slightly yeah. poison you. I don't know. And that's out of my, you know, scientific knowledge. Oh, base, I wasn't asking. I'm, no, I'm, no, I know, I know, I know, I know. But uh, it fish, yeah, I just don't eat them unless I, uh, unless I catch them. What what it like? Do you like fishing? Do you like hunting? What do you what do you, what do you like doing? Yeah, I mean, I like to go fishing. We uh, a couple of friends of mine. We've we've 
you know, usually go try to go out whenever I'm in town. Um, are you a more of a outdoor or I mean, not out, outdoor. Um, are you more of a saltwater or freshwater kind of fishing guy? So kind of it's, it's saltwater, but, but it's, the thing is, is like in Louisiana, like almost most of the stuff's like brackish. brackish. Right. Yeah. Right. So, um, but it, I mean, it's fun. It's, it's technically saltwater and stuff. I, freshwater is kind of smaller, you know, I, I don't know. Smaller. Yeah. That's a fact. <laughs> uh, I grew up on a lake bass, big mouth bass fishing. I can't, it'll never get hold of me. Mm-hmm. It, just the thing about, uh, there's so many, in, especially in Florida, how I many, there's so many lakes and there's so many different places you can go. Right. Uh, the, you, you hook in it, it fights like a tarpon for a second and then you, <laughs> then, then you don't have to wait the extra hour to, fight, to reel in that tarpon. <laughs> you just reel it in, uh, let it go. But uh, I can't, I, I can't decide what I like more, freshwater or saltwater. Saltwater is definitely more of an event. Right, yeah, you, know, yeah, you, you got to get, get up early. You get up early. You get all your yeah. gear. You get all your tackle. You you go out, and it's like it's an it's a lot of times like it's gonna take up your day. Mm-hmm. Like some some freshwater bass fishing. You know, you you and a friend are just you. You, you go to the store get some you, chicken. Yeah, go to, <laughs> yeah go to, go to the store or even I mean go in your backyard get some like get some worms whatever it is and just. Or if you got, you know, plastic baits, whatever, you know, whatever you want to do. You grab some poles, you throw them in the car, you go, like, drive two minutes down the road, and you, you fish for a little bit, and you're done. Yeah. You know, so obviously there's not the, the like, level of excitement, especially because you know what you're going to catch. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's definitely still a, a fun thing to do. Yeah, kill some time. Kill some time. Um so is would you say there's anything like in like bring it back to the kind of like the weather the, side of the things. weather side of things just because I'm I'm really interested in it is there any and not to be like a, an apocalypse <laughs> like guy here I'm, I'm not like trying to live on the hypothetical side but is there any kind of like things brewing around the the world that you know could cause some extreme weather or or just like things to note like yeah. notable so so right now july is typically a very quiet time uh in the atlantic ocean um so right you don't expect a whole lot of like hurricanes and stuff going on um but right now there is it's something called a convectively coupled kelvin wave going over the uh atlantic right now or working its way towards there and what that can do basically is just help spark off some tropical storms and hurricanes so um, some of the models are starting to pick up on uh, the potential for maybe a, uh, a, a some development off the coast of Africa in a few days or probably a little more than a few. But they're not really good at handling. Models aren't necessarily that good at handling those situations. So uh, we'll have to see. I mean, I mean, you never so know. But why, it, it's why is favored. a model not good? Uh, it's just hard. Okay, so first off, computer models, like, they're they're good up to a point, right? So if we could hypothetically know the exact state of the atmosphere at any given time, we would be able to predict the the weather really, really well. I mean, these these models are good. The problem is, is so, so. What do you with a model? What do you look? Are you just looking at a region? What are you looking at for a model? Well, they, it depends. I mean, so they have some models that like only run for the United States or only run for hurricanes or you know, and then you have bigger models, huge supercomputers that are running for the entire globe. Um, and so what what they try to do is just take in the data that we collect so like tonight i'm going over to the national weather service and i'm going to release a weather balloon so it takes that data and it puts it into the model and says okay for this region this is the base you know this is the state of the atmosphere 
And what you try to do is just predict that out into the future. Well, the problem with computer models is, is that it's impossible to know exactly what the state of the atmosphere is, like what's going on. It's, it's like the chaos theory thing, like a butterfly flapping its wings in Brazil leads to a hurricane in, in Florida. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of true, like how it works. Like if you don't know certain things, you can't, you can't predict it with you know, extreme certainty. So you're you're working at the or it's a you're working or an internship. Well, so yeah, so it's a it's a it's called the student volunteer program, but you basically go in there and you work for free. <laughs> but it's like it's like training. I mean, you do like um, you know training modules. You practice writing stuff. You help you know whenever they need help up there. It's it's cool. Is that is that also where you do? Uh, like TV stuff, or is that a different thing? Yes, yeah, so that's a different thing. So at Florida State, the uh, meteorology department, like the students, put on a weather show. Actually, I'm, I'm going to do that tonight as well. Um, You're a busy guy. Yeah. So we we basically we have a room in the basement that with cameras and mics and stuff and and soundboards, and we go in there with a green screen and produce a weather show and um, basically just practice at it. That's that's kind of what it's for. Is just to practice and gets broadcast on. Um, youtube if you so desire to go watch them you Um, should they're fun to watch yeah i mean you know what we're not perfect and it's always funny to see me walk on with the the camera set for for the little people that are in there (laughs) and my head's chopped off little as in normal Normal sized sized. yeah yeah harrison's six eight so (laughs) yeah it takes a little bit of adjustment yeah so anyway i mean you go in there and you practice and it's fun i mean i feel like i'm just trying to get good at as much of the meteorology as i can so like i'm doing the national weather service that's like the operational side of meteorology but then you also do um broadcast so that's that's the stuff you see on tv those are the most recognizable people so national weather service and then i practice at broadcast and and just keep your options open basically is what i'm trying to do well it's fun it's been fun at least for me to watch your growth as as a a tv personality almost because i saw like when you were you know, it's just, it, just starting, yeah. and then to now, you're so much more. I guess it's, uh, you could say the same thing about me with this podcast. Yeah. Or even the Walking with Wyatt episodes I did for uh, FSU Hoops, which is coming back, by the way, if anyone's interested. <laughs> uh, it's coming back this season. We might get some this summer. Uh, I do not have an exact date. Do not blow up my DMs because I do not know the answer. But Definitely need it, another couple episodes. Yeah, it's it's a whole lot of fun. So it's definitely we're definitely bringing it back. But by popular demand but um like seeing you start out like i i recognize like how how it feels like it's almost like you don't know what to say like it's not like what to say but like you use a lot of filler words sometimes Mm -hmm. like uh like you know or you know things like that nate uh what what does he always say for what it's worth or something like that yeah yeah, something like just you say a lot of those and then as you get more experience those you start to use strategic pauses Mm -hmm. you know instead of fill it with likes and ums and things like that like it's okay to take a deep breath yeah you know people people want to hear you uh people would rather hear silence than you just i think part of it too is like you feel uncomfortable when you have nothing to say up there so like like if I'm on camera and I'm, you know, and one of the, one of the things too, is that when you're doing this and like, you don't know where your hands are supposed to be and how long you need to talk for each thing. So, and then the other problem I had was that I have too much to say sometimes, you know, about, about graphics. Time, I want to explain everything. Yeah. Right. So basically what I'm saying is, is it's okay to take a second and step back. And, and that's, it's a lot like people struggle with that. 
Oh, I if I hadn't had a microphone in my hand for the what's or walking with Wyatt episodes, I don't know what I would have done. I pocketed them or something. <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not sure. You need something to do with your hands. You, got, you need something to do. It, talking in front of even though you're talking to a camera, mm-hmm. you still you know in your mind that you're talking to thousands of people in some cases. So it's it, it makes you feel even if you're the most you know fluid personality it's still something that you have to get used to uh, seeming relaxed right well we were talking about this earlier i mean well i actually forgot what i was gonna say that's okay it's okay well it's my podcast and it's okay but i know we were talking (laughs) about it earlier whatever it was whatever it was you know it's a it's a thought lost oh it's back to me oh we found it it's back to me so it's gone again (laughs) Did you really forget again? Yeah. Okay, it's okay. That sound just definitely just clipped right there, but I'm not worried about it. I'll just go in and just grind on this. Oh, it's back. Oh, my gosh. I'm not going to say anything. One of the the hardest parts of like, dude. (laughs) All right. How about we move back to another subject? (laughs) Oh, it's just practicing. That's it. That's all I had to say. Just practicing? Yeah, you got to get used to it. That's what you had to say. Well, I forgot. It's, it, but that's that's one of the hardest parts is that you have to you have to practice. But okay, that's a debacle. That's just. I'm gonna situation. keep it in. I'm not gonna clip it. I want everyone to to know that uh, we, this this podcast is as professional as it sounds. It is a debacle. Oh, it's it's organic. We'll call it organic. <laughs> yeah, you know what? It's organic. I like that word. I'm gonna keep it in. Uh, what do you? What's your like favorite part of weather? Like, I think like, like what you know you go you go to work every single day and you say all right like you can, just can't wait to see it um or learn about it. Yeah, there's there's a lot of interesting things, but I mean obviously hurricanes are what got me into this, so that's kind of the main thing that I look for, but it's all fun, you know, like trying to predict severe weather. Okay, where are the ingredients right? You know, where is the atmosphere right for severe weather to occur? Hail, tornadoes, wind like and looking for that and finding it and then and then even the day-to-day stuff like like trying to predict if it's going to rain today and probably most of the time if we hadn't had a cold front move through just now uh it would rain today so <laughs> what are what are the a cold front a cold what, front? 80, 85 degrees out <laughs> well in july this is your typical july cold front that you never get um i didn't even know there's such thing yeah i no. just thought hey it's, I, it's uh, nice i didn't know i didn't know either until it came through yesterday um but basically, you know, a cold front is just cooler air behind it, warm air out in front of it, and it pushes through. Um, the reason you get rain out in front, I'll explain this. Um, so cold air is really dense compared to warm air. Warm air is more buoyant. So cold air can cut underneath warm air. And what happens when it cuts underneath, the, the warm air has nowhere to go but up. And so when warm, moist air rises, it makes clouds. And then once they keep going you get thunderstorms and stuff. So that's why you always, you can almost always tell where there's a cold front. I mean, sometimes you'll get dry cold fronts, but Mm -hmm. you can almost always tell basically just look for the storms. It, it's a little more complicated than that, but you can get a good idea about the weather just off that. Like if you're looking at a cold front, what are you, you, you said earlier, uh, something that stuck in my mind, the ingredients for extreme weather. What are, I I assume it's different for everything, Mm -hmm. but what are some of like, let's just say for a tornado, like what, what what are like the the signs and the ingredients with air quotes that need to happen before you know a tornado like right. forms? Yeah, so okay, the first thing you need is wind shear. All right, so what is that? 
the atmosphere you can kind of think about as like a layer cake, right? And in each layer, you need wind to be going at different speeds and directions. And when that happens, right, you get turning motions in the atmosphere. And that's going to be horizontal, not vertical, all right? The next thing you're going to need is a lot of, of warm, moist air that can rise and make thunderstorms. Because if you have warm, dry air, you're not going to get thunderstorms. Um, and then you need some kind of mechanism to force a little bit of air up. And once you do that, you know, this, this is something that typically happens in front of like cold fronts. Um, those are good spots, you know, in a warm area of, you know, between a warm front so and a cold is, front. So tornadoes are going to be more in like a warm, yeah, like yeah. a warm area. So you, you don't, you're not ever going to get a tornado in like cold weather. Uh, it's happened before, but it's, it's just extremely uncommon. Okay. All right. Um, but so with tornadoes, like you don't, you're never going to know if one's going to be able to form, but you can look at the ingredients and say, okay, there's a lot of wind shear here. There's a lot of instability. So there's a lot of warm, moist air that can rise and we have a low pressure system moving in. All right. That tells you be on the lookout. And then eventually, you know, the storm prediction center can, can keep you posted on it. So are tornadoes like more spur of the moment kind of things? Cause I feel like it's probably because I live, you know, in Florida, I'm mm-hmm. not in the Midwest or anything plains, like that. Yeah. yeah the, the plains, do they, is it, is it such like a prevalent thing for them to issue like warnings about tornado or like, you know, not, not warnings, but like, Hey, you need to get out right now. Yeah. So what, what they'll do is, is they can look at, we keep we're making a cake, I guess, because we're talking about ingredients, layer cake in the atmosphere. Um, but they can look at it and say, okay, th- these conditions are favorable for tornadoes. We've seen the model output. Some of the convecting models look like there's going to be supercells that can make tornadoes. Let's go ahead and put out a tornado watch. So they'll put out a tornado watch, basically just saying, hey, tornadoes could form here within the next few hours. Be on the lookout. The next thing that can happen is, is they'll issue a tornado warning on a storm that is either producing or radar is indicating that there's tornadoes in the storm. So once they do that, if you get under a tornado warning, you need to be in the lowest level of your house, in the most central room. You like that's, I feel like the, some of the, the, you know, images of tornado destruction is just unreal it's uh, just flat oh yeah i and you know i think i think the craziest you, you know you always see the ones where the houses are taken down to slabs and like that's crazy but there's like i've seen roads ripped up in some pictures you also see um trees debarked no leaves on them it's unreal i i feel like tornadoes are more destructive than hurricanes okay so uh, the way you have to think about that is like yeah, your average tornado, well, not, maybe not even your average, but the strongest tornado is always going to be stronger than the strongest hurricane, okay? So, like, in terms of just wind speed. But the biggest tornado that we've ever seen was the El Reno tornado in 2013. I think it was it was two was, or three miles wide. Was I don't that know. the one that went through Oklahoma City? Mm-mm. No, no. That, that was the strongest one. That was 1999. It went through um, more Oklahoma. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Gotcha. Um, that had winds of like 300 miles an hour. I mean, that's that was insane. Unreal. Yeah. That, that's like, you're not surviving. No. You, yeah. I mean, I don't I don't know. That's crazy. So anyway, like the biggest tornado is two or three miles wide maximum. Now, that's a big tornado. And that's scary if you just see a giant wall of spinning clouds coming at you. But like with hurricanes, you're talking about something that is, first off, 
hundreds of miles wide. Um, even the eye wall where the strongest winds are going to occur, I mean, that's 60, 70 miles from end to end of just absolute destruction. So what, what, you, what ends up happening is, is like, yes, like tornadoes, they, they, they can be stronger and more violent. But with hurricanes, like there's so much more area and people that like you, you can't say that tornadoes are more destructive than hurricanes. Well, I mean, I've never been a part or been around the the side of a, a tornado mm-hmm. like after it's rolled through. But like like we were talking about just to start this podcast was the destruction of you know Katrina and Charlie and just uh, it turned it turned places into third world countries. Oh, I I, I still every time I drive home. All right, so I got to get from Tallahassee over to Louisiana, and every time I drive home, I drive through. I'm telling you that that Hurricane Michael destruction. I've never seen anything like that. And some of the video that came out of, of people that are crazy storm chasing, I, I'm not going to lie, I kind of wanted to do it. I, but I couldn't I couldn't tell Coach Ham, hey, like, I'm getting out of here. Hey, uh, I'm leaving. Right. Uh, I'm going to go chase a giant storm. Yeah, so, um, but some of the video, I mean, just mind-boggling. A, how fast the winds were. And then, like, they had some videos of, like, storm surge. And it almost, it, it just looks like, water and it was so smooth looking it looked like glass almost because of like how strong the winds were and it would just just whoosh pushing in i mean and and getting up 10 15 feet something like that so like seeing those videos is absolutely crazy i mean severe weather hurricanes extreme weather like that people that and i do want to do this one day like i definitely want to take some time and go out and storm chase um and look for you know tornadoes and stuff but um Basically, like, that's another world, what some of those people are doing. I just remember from when I was a kid, just after hurricanes would come through, just the tre- people couldn't drive anywhere. Mm-hmm. The trees are all on the ground. And it's like you got to clear clean the, clean those up one by one. So it's like you got to cut them down and load them in the trucks and then truck them off. So it would just take extreme amounts of time to get the roads clear for people to drive. The fact that you had no... Uh, in some cases, no running water, no electricity. We were buying like jugs of water, mm-hmm. uh, drink, and um, it, it was just—it was definitely a crazy memory for me. I think everybody that goes through something like that—I mean, that, that's the things you remember—is like you taking chainsaws and and oh, cutting yeah. through trees oh, and then yeah. rolling them off or loading them into trucks, like you were talking about. I remember we would one of the things we, you know my neighborhood would do is we'd take rope and tie a bundle of like limbs and stuff together and tie the rope to the trailer hitch and then haul it off to wherever we were taking it. Oh yeah. There's, there's a whole lot of fun when you're a kid, but looking back, it was, yeah, well, I mean, wild. that's a lot of work, man. I don't want to be doing oh, that. Yeah. All right. So we're, we're nearing like kind of the end of the, the podcast and I have like three questions I wrote down before uh, we even started talking. Uh, that I just wanted to ask, I'd try to ask, whether it be at the end or throughout, just three questions that I've written down beforehand uh, that shouldn't, you know, shouldn't be super long answers, just things that uh, I just came up with, you know, just thought would be interesting. The first one is if, if $100 million was put into your bank account right now, what are the first three things you'd spend your money on? Spend it? Um, that's tough, man. I don't know. I, I actually have no idea. You know what? I know. I know what the first thing. I I promised my mom when I was really little 
that if I ever made it big time, like had a lot of money, I'd buy her a house in the mountains in Utah. So I guess that's, that's number one. Um, I guess, I don't know, man. The, the other two, it's hard. I don't like spending money all that much. Like yeah, if I don't a, have it's to. It's a tough question. I, I don't know. But I would definitely save 99% of it because then I'd still have a million dollars to play <laughs> with. <laughs> uh, I think the first thing I would spend, I would pay off my parents' mortgage, I think, first. All right, so we're on the same wavelength. Uh, same, there. same kind of thought process there. Uh, I think maybe I'd get a truck. Yeah, maybe I, I, something like. And then after that, I don't even think I got a third. I don't. I got everything I want or need. I don't. I don't know. What I have yeah, my I, money on at that I point. I have no idea. I thought when I wrote it, I'd be like, "Oh, that's something interesting." But it turns out maybe like of us a really. plane ticket, and nobody ever sees me again. I don't <laughs> yeah. know. <laughs> I yeah, that's one way. What one way plane ticket to somewhere across the world? We're I, going I'm, back to Iberia Star in Jamaica. <laughs> <laughs> Iberia Star, that Jamaica, that overseas Jamaican trip was wild. Mm-hmm. All right, number two, if you're going to be anything other than a weatherman, what would it be? Oh, that is also tough. Um, I've thought about, you know, kind of like backup plans. You know, I've already got all the math stuff, so maybe an engineer. Um, I'm also like interested in like stocks and stuff, stock market. Like that's interesting to me, but I don't know. It th- that's never really been like a serious thought. It's like, oh, well, if this doesn't work out, like mm-hmm. maybe I'll go try to be an engineer or something. I think for me, I I have a lot of different interests and things that I feel like I could get into as a job. But, like, just like you, I'm into stocks. I'm into a lot of different things. But, honestly, if, it, if like, I just couldn't do anything basketball-related, I couldn't be a, a, you know, a commentator, a play-by-play guy, color guy, nothing like nothing like that. If I had to, honestly, just do something that would make me happy, it would probably just be a barbecue cook. <laughs> you mentioned I, that the I'd other day. I'd open my own barbecue joint. You've been thinking about that, haven't that, you? Maybe. <laughs> but, the, yeah, I think that's what I would do. If, like, all money aside, everything, I think I'd open a barbecue joint. Cook me some just, ribs. Just, cook, like, cook it, cook it, cook barbecue how I like to cook it. And if I got no business, then, you know what? Uh, You're a bad cook, I'm but you bad like cook. it. <laughs> <laughs> then I'm making my own food, I guess, for dinner. Uh, for number three, last one, what is your favorite FSU basketball memory to date? That's another tough. I mean, there's been so many good memories. So many. Um, everybody, you know, you have the Elite Eight run. Uh, I think one of the one of the coolest things is when we're in a close game, and you're sitting there on the court, and you look up, and like there's you know close game. Maybe there's like 15 seconds left in the game, and a big play happens, and there's a stoppage in clock, and you look around. And like I, one of just memories when we beat Carolina a few years back, you you sit there in the tuck and you look around you and it's just like, everybody's just standing and it feels so much closer. It feels like everybody is right there. And like looking at at that and taking it in is like, like, wow, like this is something big. And and you've seen it, I think with the culture of FSU basketball over the past few years. I mean, people are way more people are coming to our games now and, and the fans are crazy and it's, it's a home court advantage, you know? And, and, when you see it and feel it, uh, you can't describe it. You know, I mean, this is this is probably going to sound crazy on the other end of the, the mic, but, like, there's just something about that view, that perspective. I'm not even going to say one 
or say mine because I think it would ruin that. That's fantastic. I definitely just that feeling you mm-hmm. get. That I definitely like. I, I'll never forget that. You know what I'm saying? There's like, there's you know, obviously when we beat Xavier, like I'm not gonna forget watching PJ shot go in. Like that. That's not. That, but, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna. I'll get dementia when I'm 80, and, and that still is gonna be burned. Yeah. But but that feeling of like watching it and and being a part of it, it's something special. I agree. <laughs> well, thanks, Harrison. Uh, we've about reached the end of our time. I know you got to go to work. You're a busy man. Uh, everybody out there, thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for supporting. Uh, just like last time, I have no idea who's going to be on next. Actually, And I, you have no sponsors. And I have absolutely no sponsors. Yeah. Literally none. Paid for all this myself. Never forget it. <laughs> and I lied to you earlier. I do know who's going to be on next, but I'm not going to tell you yet. you got to wait. And again... It, it may not be in a week. It may not be two. It could be a month. I do not have a, a time, like a distinct time limit on when these are going to come out. They are a lot of work, and they do take a lot of preparation. So thank you guys for listening and being patient with me as I grow in this process of you know creating a, a podcast. And uh, have a good one, everybody.